You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Wow, what an encouraging time of worship this morning. Um, Confidence in Christ. We said Jesus Christ a few times. Some of the lines of the songs that grabbed my attention, he tore through the darkness. What a great line. Heaven held its breath. What a great line. You know, there's even a gospel account, and I haven't really ever chased this down, but upon Jesus' resurrection, there was other people that was resurrected that day. (laughs) I'm like, I'm wondering, like, who was writing about that, right? I mean, you would have thought that would have been uh, a story in and of itself of where and how did these people get here. Um, But I know why we're here. Because regardless of where you find yourself, there is either hope in Christ or there's hope that there's hope in Christ. That you have hope in Christ or that you're hoping that there's hope in Christ. So I welcome everyone who's watching online who will watch this later, and to you this morning. 1,340,000,000 is the number of hits you get when you enter the word self-confidence in a popular search engine, and it comes up in 0.62 seconds. If you put in a search for self-confidence in... um, a book search engine, you'll come up with over 10,000 different hits. There can only be one reason for such a prodigious amount of material on self-confidence, and that's because we struggle with it, (laughs) and we think it's life's silver bullet. The University of South Florida's Counseling Center defines self-confidence this way. Self-confidence is an attitude about your skills and abilities. It means you accept and trust yourself and have a sense of control in your life. You know your strengths and weaknesses well and have a positive view of yourself. You set realistic expectations and goals, communicate assertively, and can handle criticism. Seems benign enough. One person I read defines self-confidence as what you have before you fully understand a situation. (laughs) Another person quipped that if having low self-confidence and low self-esteem was an Olympic sport, they would probably get bronze. (laughs) Isn't that good? I love that one. So the word confidence is a combination of two Latin words, con and, and however you would pronounce the Latin fides for faith. So self-confidence means a faith within yourself, faith within yourself. And on the surface, it would seem that what we really just need is an extra boost of self-confidence. But at the root, I believe we don't have a self-confidence problem. I believe what we have is a Christ-confidence problem. Here's why I say that. Self-confidence will always come with its own set of limitations, and they will be different for each one of us. 
So inevitably, we will run into something that will be a situation in which we don't have any control over, no power over. Christ's confidence, however, has no limitations. There isn't anything that he hasn't created and or defeated and pronounced victory over. It may be a surprise to you that Scripture says very little about self-confidence. I did chase down this passage out of Proverbs. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, in no way am I trying to equate self-confidence and pride as synonyms. I'm just saying that Scripture is replete with examples of people who replaced a God-confidence with a self-confidence, and in none of those circumstances did it end up good. So our new five-part preaching series is called Stand Firm, Cultivating a Christ Confidence for Living. And it is a book study on Philippians. I scared some of you. You walked in this morning and think the pastor is going to preach on self-confidence. So it's a book study on Philippians. It's not a long letter. There's just four chapters. It's one of Paul's most, it is Paul's most personal, um, most loving letters to what he ends up identifying kind of as his beloved, his beloved church. Um, some churches Paul writes to correct abuses, uh, correct false teachings, to protect them from that. Some of them he writes as this long uh, theological treatise, but, but this is a letter. I mean, this truly isn't some lesson plan. I mean, he's pouring out himself to a church that he has deep love for. He is instilling courage. He's instilling confidence in them so that they can stand firm in the middle of whatever life would bring. To encourage someone is to build courage into them. So to Christ encourage, I would think it would be very similar to build Christ into someone. And that's Paul's hope in this letter, and it's mine as well. That you can, especially over the course of five weeks, that you would come away with more courage in Christ more confidence in Christ so that you could have Christ courage and you could have Christ confidence. Do you need a different source of courage than yourself? I do. Do you need a different source of confidence than yourself? I do. I've lived enough living, and you probably have too, to outstrip any illusion of control. And then when you do feel in control, be careful because the next shoe drops. Self-courage, my experience, is self-courage and self-confidence, my own, leak like a sieve. They leak like a sieve. So Philippians contains some of the most fire-you-up quotable passage in all the New Testament in this, in this book, all right? So I'll just, I'll read them all to you, and then we can put that aside and really understand how all these fit in context, right? But here, here, are, here are seven of the most quotable passage in all of the New Testament. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Philippians 4.6 and 7, don't be anxious for anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Philippians 4.13, I learned it this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not the version up there, but that's how I learned it. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches for his glory in Christ Jesus. There you are. They're the quotable ones. We'll get to them, but we'll get to them in context because in context is what carries the weight of all of these passages. The Christ's courage and Christ's confidence do not get um, built up inside of you outside of the crucible, a crucible outside of heat. These things take heat to cure and heat to produce, and that's kind of what we get in the, in the book of Philippians. When you read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is what chronicles the founding of the churches that we read about that Paul writes letters to. And Acts chapter 16 is the founding of the church at Philippi. And it is not a long account. Um, Paul and, his, and Silas and Timothy are with him here and they had full intents to head to another region to preach. But overnight, Paul has a dream of a man saying, come over here to Macedonia and help us. And, and, and in that, just that word of, of God to Paul, Paul then the next day says, fellows, change of plans, we're heading to Macedonia. The first city they get to is Philippi. Philippi is a, um, is a Roman city. It has a great history, um, actually even in, in, the, in the Roman wars. Um, so there are a lot of retired officers. There are retired um, soldiers that reside there. It was, um, it was an important political city. It was a financially rich city based on its location uh, for trade. Um, so it was a very influential city. Um, it was a city that was very educated. Um, they spoke both Greek and Latin in, in Philippi. I mean, it had, it had all the touches that you would have wanted uh, in a city. And so this is where, this is where Paul um, begins. Paul's ministry, generally, when he went into a city, he started in the synagogue. He wanted to find Jews from the diaspora that would have moved and would have spread out, and he would have began preaching Christ to the Jewish population. They would have already had a foundation for him to say, everything you learn points to Jesus. Philippi, though, had no synagogue, which means there was so few Jewish people and Jewish men that they could not even form a synagogue. So where Paul starts is he starts at a river, now, rivers, moving water in, in, in any kind of, um, kind of world religion end up having some spiritual significance. And so his, his, his feeling was either by um, interview, hey, where are people going that aren't worshiping in the pagan temples? Because, because Philippi carried all the Roman temples. It would have carried all the pagan worship and emperor worship. All that would have been off the chart. So he goes and he finds that this river, he finds a woman that's identified as her name is Lydia. Lydia's profession is identified. She is a seller of purple. So here is um, probably a very wealthy, a very successful woman entrepreneur. We don't know if she was married or not. What we know is she was very good at what she did and that she had followers. She even had followers. And she, no doubt, had come in contact with this message about Jesus or at least the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because she's there outside of the city, outside of the pagan temples, searching for something else. And this is where Paul encounters them and they receive her, her and her friends. They receive the word of Christ and they're baptized. And then her home becomes the place in which the church at Philippi gets established. But on some of their walks, there was a slave girl who was demon possessed that followed them and would shout out, these men represent the God of the most high. In them, you will find the path to salvation. Now you'd have thought, not bad PR. 
you know, I'll just pay someone to follow me around. Say, these men are from the God of Most High, and they path they offer to salvation. However, Paul knew that she was demon-possessed. She knew, he knew that this was, this was not, her intent was not promoting the gospel. And it just, it really even reads like he just got put up with it one day. And he turns to her, and he casts the demon out. When he casts the demon out, she is a completely new person beginning to follow Christ in this new band of believers. Ah, but it upset the economic situation of a couple businessmen because they were making large amounts of money on her ability to tell the future. And so they would have been fine with Lydia and these people kind of worshiping someone they didn't know around by a river. But boy, you start messing with their pocketbook and their way of life, and now this is done, and they cause such a stir. These men over here, they're, they're coming to disrupt our way of life. They're going to change everything that we do and how we do it. Listen, we're talking about a handful of Christians now. But they're going to disrupt everything we do and how we do it, and we must put an end to this now. And, and Silas and Paul are beaten mercilessly, without mercy. And they're imprisoned. And the book of Acts is a very dramatic book. I mean, it is dramatic. You read a lot of dramatic things. And I think maybe leading the list of the drama was what happens to Paul and Silas. At midnight, Acts 16 tells us, they are worshiping and singing out loud in prison, having been beaten. And, and, and I think, and I'll tell you why in a second, I think it had gotten the attention of the entire prison. They, 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 God then interrupts, if you will, this worship with his presence in a manner that the earth shakes at such a magnitude that all of the prisoners' chains come off and all of the prison doors open, all of them. So you, why are they staying? I, I think everybody's staying because they're already connecting the dots. <laughs> They would have already heard the stir about what these two people have done. They could have known the girl that was demon-possessed. And these people are singing, and now we're free. We're going to stay around and see how this thing ends. And how it ends is the jailer, who is responsible for all the prisoners, comes and notices all of the open doors and begins the process of taking his own life because he was responsible. And that would have been what it was, would have been done to him if they escaped. And he's going to save everybody the trouble. And yet, I don't know how Paul and Silas would see or sense, but to yell out, hey, we're still here. And the jailer falls to his knees. He brings Paul and Silas to the home. Could have been upstairs, tends to their wounds, feeds them. And in that context, the jailer comes and his family come to a saving knowledge of this Christ in whom they preached. And this is the founding of the church of Philippi. You got, you got a woman entrepreneur and probably some of her workers. You have a demon-possessed girl who would have been a slave for who knows how long. And you have a jailer and his family. And here is the beginning of the church at Philippi. And I can assure you that there was no flying under the radar anymore of that church. We never get any indication of the size of the church. We don't get any indication of how it grows or not, but we get plenty of indication from Paul that this church hung with him for 10 years. That when he needed help, they sent it. When there was wealthier churches that could have helped, Philippi did it. 
When he needed someone to come to help him, they sent him. But they're still in the most Greek and Roman city that there was. They're, they're still kind of, they can't hide. They can't hide anything they're doing because people know who they are and what they're doing. The pressure on, the, on this young church and this small church at Philippi would have been great, and yet it doesn't stop what they do. It doesn't stop their support of Paul. It doesn't, support, doesn't stop what they do for the gospel. And so then when we get to the book of Philippians, what Paul is doing now, he's writing this letter of courage. Man, he's, he's seen it in them. He's seen it in them, but he also knows this stuff leaks. He's seen confidence in them, but he also knows this stuff leaks when this confidence shifts from, from God, from Christ, into you. And he's writing this letter because he wants to encourage them. And from stem to stern, this letter is full of encouragement and confidence, but such a shift away from what we, what we hear and read about so much today about the strength inside of you, the light inside of you, the good inside of you that prevails in our culture. You just got to, I mean, you know, it's, well, how did you, tell me, uh, tell me, how did you have the belief? I mean, these sports, somebody give them new questions <laughs> after these things, right? You know, well, I knew I worked hard. I put in the time. And I got great teammates. I mean, just put it on repeat, right? Just put it on repeat. Ah, but you do get, you do get an athlete every once in a while, don't you? That speaks about their relationship with Christ. And you want to shorten an interview, post-game interview? <laughs> Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. So, their Christ courage and their Christ confidence was high because there was no denying what God had supernaturally done in their midst. And I'm going to circle back to that. So here's how Philippians begins. The first one I want to talk about is Christ's confidence comes from God's commitment to our completion. Christ's confidence comes from God's commitment to our completion. Philippians 2, 1, 2 through 6. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from, first, from the first day till now, being confident of this, of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the, until the day of Christ Jesus. My last mention in Faith Over Culture, the last message there, I talked to you a little bit about what it meant to pass the peace. That peace was a shalom. It was a, a wholeness. It was a peace between the Father and us um, because of the intimate relationship we have with Christ. And this peace, and he's, he's passing this peace, he's reminding them of this peace is, is whole. It's a whole peace. He's reminding them this peace came from Jesus himself. He's reminding them that they have peace with the Father because of that. And it's a peace of God that keeps us confident and content in all circumstances. But that peace isn't what he's also passing. He's passing a great deal of courage to them. Have you ever started something confidently only to bow down, uh, to bog down in discouragement later in the process? And have you ever analyzed why that is? Why do I start things with such fervor and intensity? And then why does that kind of fade off as it goes? I'll give you at least four of mine. Something's taking longer than I thought it was going to take. It was more complicated than I thought. It was harder than I thought. 
It didn't produce what I thought. So this happens, I think, even in our walk with Christ. It happens as a church. It, I believe he's, he's addressing it here to them in Philippi. Because when you hit any of those place in, places, you question why you started in the first place. And you begin evaluating how long are you going to keep at it. And what Paul's teaching them is that what Christ began in them was real. It was good. It was timely. And despite present appearances, God was still in control. And the best part, and God finishes what he starts. Now that's some good stuff. That God finishes what he starts. And I believe that each of us need to, if you're a follower of Christ now, and there needs to be a time in which we go back and we reconnect with our salvation experience with Christ. Say, well, pastor, you don't know my experience. It wasn't very dramatic. People's experience with Christ are all over the map when they come to Christ. Don't worry about the drama. Christ already took care of all the drama that was necessary. He was born of a virgin. He died on his own, his own will, <laughs> and he raised himself from the dead. Plenty of drama, right? Plenty of drama. But each of us that are followers of Christ had to make a decision. We don't, you don't fumble into this. You don't inherit this. These are decisions that we make. Full opened eyes where we come to this conclusion that what I'm doing isn't working. What I'm living for isn't worth living for. Who I thought it would be, I'm not becoming. What I thought life was going to be isn't hit the mark yet. And each one of us at some point in time come to those conclusions and say, what else? And in that what else moment, when we get introduced to Christ, we say, that, that's what it is. And I know that as you walk this out, and you, it's easy to get to the place, well, is this all there is to it? And, and what, 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 I thought I would be further along in my faith. I thought I'd be further along in this. I thought that this situation would be further along. And we get tired and we get weary. But what Paul is teaching them right here is when he starts something, he finishes something. You can have Christ's confidence no matter what your situation is because he will not stop his work in you. He won't do it. He, have you had people quit on you before? He doesn't quit on you. He's never quit anything he started, including you. There's plenty of people that we will disappoint and they'll quit us. There's plenty of people that will look at you and go, I thought you would be further along. I'm out. Not Christ. What he comes in and says, I know you wanted to be further along and we're still working on you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And when I started it in you, it had an end date. The end date's when I'm coming again and I'm going to work on you the whole time. I'm going to work on you the whole time. Living with a Christ confidence doesn't work because Jesus believes in us. Man. If you're not careful, this whole self thing sneaks in every little corner. He doesn't look at you and Kathy and say, I believe in you, Kathy. I believe in you, Kathy. What he does is, I believe in me and you, Kathy. You understand the difference? One difference is we bring something to the table that he likes. The other is, there wasn't anything that we brought to the table, folks. But his love and mercy reaches down and makes us whole in him. And he goes, now that's someone I can stand behind. 
Uh, he believes in what he's done inside of you. He believes it more than you believe it. He believes it more than I believe it. I sure have quit on myself a bunch. How about you? There, there's a phrase in pastoral ministry. Actually, it's, it's a ministry axiom that says never resign on Monday. <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they're okay. Not Saturday because no one can fill in that fast. But he doesn't quit on you. So Christ's confidence comes from God's commitment to what he started in you. Here's the second one. Christ's confidence comes from God's commitment to his purpose completion. His purpose completion. Paul goes on, verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Christ's confidence comes from God's commitment to his purpose completion. Are you becoming more hesitant to share with people that you're a follower of Christ? Have you become more hesitant to follow God's direction in your life? Afraid or being belittled or being canceled or afraid to fail, all these things play into following Christ. But Paul is writing this letter from prison. A prison sentence that will turn into other prison sentences that will lead eventually to his death. And so the very fact that he's writing from prison, he's writing in chains, they know he's in prison, they know he's in writing in chains, demonstrates that the prison didn't shut him up or shut him out. His context of writing and what he writes and how he writes, this becomes a big deal of communicating to the church at Philippi and to us that circumstances are not what stops the move of God. In fact, they frame it. And his frame now was prison. And when he's saying that the gospel has been known to the entire, entire guard. Now again, Roman city, it would have had a high military presence. Um, the, this probably would have been an, an elite guard. And extra biblical sources tell us that they had, the magistrate had to change his guards often, the ones that would have been in the, in the room present with him, because they kept converting to Christianity. Now, that wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have converted to Christianity for a man just licking his wounds. They wouldn't have converted to Christianity for a woe is me. I can't believe it's not fair. Why this happened to me? No. <laughs> and then, and then what, what, because of Paul's boldness in this situation, it isn't just the people that are converting that's, that's being chained to him. The whole palace guard's talking about this guy. So that means the whole palace guard is talking about Jesus. Because Paul never presented himself anything other than that. So this starts rippling <laughs> throughout some of probably the most hardened, right? Would have seen the worst of the worst stuff. That would you ever try to you ever try to um, minister to a, a, someone in the military? I did ride-alongs for, for a little while um, as, a, as a chaplain for the Cobb County Police Department before I moved here. And I'm telling you what, those 20-somethings are hard. One, one, one woman officer in, in the squad room, when they introduced that I was going to be riding with her, 
wow, I wish I had a recording of what that was like. And then when I got in the seat next to her, for her to turn to me and says, no offense. <laughs> it wasn't personal. Why? Because so much life, you see so much stuff that you can't believe anything good can come out of anything. But this whole palace guard, and then he even goes further. Hey, there's other people that at first were afraid to talk about Jesus, but because of my chains, they're gaining confidence. It hadn't stopped me. It's not going to stop them. So how do we live with a Christ courage and a Christ confidence when everything around us seems to be blowing up? That could be personally. It definitely can be culturally and globally. How, how do you maintain a courage and a confidence? Because one, what God has started in you personally, he will not let go of that. You're not going to stay where you are. As, as long as we continue to partner with him, he brings us along. And what he has started in the world, that also will be completed. That he has a purpose. He has a purpose with you. He has a purpose with me. He has a purpose with our body. He has a purpose with the big C church. He has a purpose for all that. And that will not come without bearing the fruit he had intended it to bear. So, this is when Paul moves on to kind of the, the, one of the famous lines I talked about. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is the conclusion he comes to. Hey, as long as I live, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. No matter what comes my way, if I'm living, if I'm breathing, the words I'm breathing is the power and the redemption that comes in Christ. So for me to live is Christ. He, he can have it. Whatever I got left, wherever I am, I, I'm his. To die, well, the longer I sit in prison the better that sounds. Now, not as an escape. I mean, you got to remember, but he, he encounters Christ in the most dramatic of ways. So he, he is the only apostle that didn't see Jesus, right? Flesh, blood, like that. I mean, so, so his encounter to be called an apostle, it was just as real, but oh, it was much more, much more dramatic. And I think he, listen, when you're done with me, I'd love to catch up. But then he tells the church of Philippi, it's better for you that I stay. Because as long as I stay, I keep encouraging you. I keep building confidence into you. I keep doing this and the gospel keeps moving forward because, man, the Philippians just got it. It was a group of people that just got it. And they weren't going to be intimidated by their size or what they had to bring. They were still going to bring whatever they could bring. And I come up with this, this statement here to finish this segment of the message. It's amazing what can be accomplished for the kingdom of God when you're not afraid for yourself or worried about the success of the outcome. It's amazing what can be accomplished for the kingdom of God when you're not afraid for yourself or worried about the success of the outcome. And he ends the first chapter this way. Whatever happens, verse 27. Look at someone and say, whatever happens. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner. That means live, okay? So whatever happens, live worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
So here's how I rewrote that. Whatever happens, walk in the confidence of, that Christ has secured for you on the cross and his resurrection. Now look, our lives don't earn salvation. It was given to us, it was given to us before that we would have ever had a breath, okay? But now once our salvation is complete, Paul's challenge is, hey, live your life worthy of what was done for you. That's sobering. Come on, church. Whatever happens, if whatever happens then, then defines your relationship and your walk with Christ and your courage and your confidence, if whatever happens is, is framing that, in essence, I think he's saying that's not living a life worthy of what Christ accomplished on the cross. It's not some favor thing that, that you owe, we owe God something um, because, because he died for us, so we just kind of owe him to go through the motion. We owe him. That's not, that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying, this over here has done much more than what you are believing and living like it's done. This over here has done everything. It has done everything. So live your life in a manner that believes that the cross did everything. That the cross and the empty tomb did everything. You want me? Come get me. As long as I'm living, I'm going to talk about Jesus. If I'm going to die, I'm going to be in heaven with him. Come get me. Paul, Paul it is a life lived worthy. And what I don't care, right? There's an old saying that if you don't care who gets the credit, a lot gets done, right? If you don't care what happens to you and you don't care what happens And you're going to say what you're going to say. You're going to live the way you're going to live, worthy and with that kind of confidence and courage. And no matter what happens, it's not going to shake that courage or shake that confidence. I'm not saying it doesn't drop you to the knees. I'm not saying you don't get your wind knocked out of you. What I'm saying is you don't stay down there as long as you would if you did not have Christ. Then he says, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. And boy, if we were writing a 21st century me culture scripture Bible, we would leave this verse out. I want you to look in your Bibles, if you still have Bibles um, that look like this, and I want you to look and see if you've underlined this passage. I think I'm going to preach a, a year. I'm going to preach a year through the stuff I haven't outlined. But I haven't, right? I would be, I'd be, I would be interested in what a year of sermons would look like if I preached for you, not from what I have underlined, but what from I don't, what I don't. That's a pretty good idea. I'm gonna have to look into that. Verse 20, for it has been granted, okay, verse, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's saying, Jesus suffered. I'm suffered, suffering. Y'all gonna suffer. But he doesn't say that in a manner to break our confidence and courage, but to increase it. So, Paul isn't attempting to construct in this whole letter. He's not, like, I won't be able to teach this like I would teach Romans or something else. He, it's, it's more than stream of consciousness thinking on Paul's part, but it, he's not writing a lesson plan. Right? He's not saying take these three things and apply it these four ways. You know how I usually preach? He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't give us those kind of things. So you can live Christ confident because Christ will finish what he started in you. You can live Christ courageous because Christ will finish 
what he started with you. And what he said here in this last, thing, last verse is standing firm as a group project. My daughter hated group projects in school. I don't know about you or students in the room. Hated group projects. You know the people who hate group projects? The people who want to do all the work. People who love group projects, the people don't do jack, right? But he's saying standing firm is a group project because standing firm together projects our inevitable salvation by God and the inevitable defeat of the enemy. Do you see that? When we stand together, of whatever makes up what's known as Gateway Franklin Church. This is, all, this is all that I have purview over. When we stand firm together in Christ's confidence and Christ's courage, it is a sign of the salvation of God and the inevitable defeat of, any, of, the, of the opposing force of the enemy against us. And I say it all the time in here. We come into this room, we have the opportunity to lend faith, and we have the opportunity to borrow faith. We have that. Listen, this is this would be a new new translation of that. We have the opportunity to lend courage, Christ courage, and borrow Christ courage. We have the opportunity to lend Christ confidence and borrow Christ confidence. I don't have anything to offer you other than Christ. But in Christ, you couldn't offer anything better. So you remember that um, definition. That I read. Come on up, Ben. I read the definition to you of what South, the University of South Florida. This would be, and it's a pretty good definition on self-confidence. I just don't know we need a good definition of self-confidence. So here's my definition of Christ confidence. Christ confidence is an attitude about Christ's skills and abilities. It means you accept him and surrender control of your life to him. You know his strengths and your weaknesses and have a confident view of your partnership. You set faith-filled goals, pray continually, and handle adversity through him. Pastor Charlie. I know that this is the, uh, this weekend was 20th anniversary of 9-11. No doubt you watched plenty of documentaries. Um, I was in a staff, church staff meeting on Tuesday on 9-11, and which we were never interrupted in the staff meeting. And the pastor's administrative coordinator uh, knocked on the door and wheeled a TV in, in time for us to watch the um, plane go through the second tower. Um, on Wednesday... Um, the church was packed. Church was packed. And we had a time of prayer and worship and just really a lot of crying that went on. Sunday, place was packed. And was packed for a number of months. But you know how that turned out. So why was it packed on Wednesday? Why was it packed on Sunday for months? Because the country had lost its collective sense of self-confidence. It had been decades and decades and decades, right? Where there was ever a strike on our country. We fight wars on someone else's dirt, not ours. Self-confidence was rocked and people turned to God. But peace, peace generally doesn't bring out the best. 
in our relationship with Christ unless you get shaken enough to keep walking in it even when you are in peace. And I was reminded of that all this weekend. What is your context today? See, when I read this scripture out of Proverbs, pride can actually come out of come out in, in, in a couple different ways. It can come out as fear and it can come out as kind of overconfidence or arrogance. It can kind of come out both ways. And what, well, how, Pastor, how does it come out during fear? Because when I'm afraid and that, fr- that fear freezes me, I, that means I, I don't have the confidence. All my confidence is in me. And I face something that is bigger than me, and so I'm afraid, right? And so because I don't have enough to bring to bear on that, so that comes out as fear. Well, well fear is another version of self-confidence. You with me? Because my fear is dependent on what I can see or bring to the table. And when I don't have enough to bring to the table, then I live in fear. You know, being bravado doesn't, you know, I can handle that. It never diminishes what we're having to face. (laughs) Saying, well, that's not that big of a deal. It never changes the context of what this is. It's just our attempt to try to kind of muster ourselves up to something that really doesn't exist, or at least it doesn't lead to any kind of success. So wherever you find yourself today, if you find yourself leaning too much into yourself, I can just tell you, the, the, I know we chase God in crisis, but my suggestion is you chase him before crisis hits. That's my suggestion. And if you're already in crisis, can you give everyone an opportunity today to breathe some Christ courage and some Christ confidence in you? So the altar is open. People will pray with you. Communion is to my right and to my left. The ultimate of what Christ has done for us. You can participate in communion. You can come for prayer. You can worship. But movement always matters, and I encourage you to move. Stand for prayer, and then you can move. Father, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in us will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know you want to communicate to someone today that you have not quit on them. You have not quit on them. For you, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, my whole life is given to you. And Father, I pray for any, any area of my life that I'm holding back. Lord, the lives of people watching or in the room holding back, out of fear or pride or self-confidence or the like, Lord, I pray today that we release it all to you because for the lit, for to live for you is Christ and to die is gain. Father, I pray that nobody leaves the room today feeling the same way that they came in in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.